everyone. I want to welcome you to Experience by Design podcast. This is Adam Gamwell. This is Gary David. And Gary, who do we have on the show today? Well, Adam, funny you asked that question. I, the person we have today, I first met back in 1989 when he was pledging in my fraternity. And he was in the fall of 1989 pledge class of Sigma Phi, Sigma Pi fraternity, Delta Alpha chapter at Central Michigan University. And I had no idea at the time I met him that he would be doing such great things. In fact, if you would have asked me back then what he'd be doing now, I don't know that I'd say he's one of the people in charge of what is regarded by many people online as one of the best sports venues and concert venues in the country. Mm. And it's been really impressive to go through the list of all the accomplishments that he's been able to help pull together uh, in his current position. And to talk about the fan experience and the stadium experience, I thought it'd be no one better to talk about that than Aaron Rush. Hey, Aaron, how you doing? I'm doing great, Gary. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. And it's, you know, it's funny because I do, I don't remember much from college. I do remember that <laughs> for some reason. I remember that time period. I remember your pledge class almost down to a person. I don't know if that's huh. a great thing. And that's maybe another podcast. But that's It is its own. The fraternity experience and the pledge experience is its own experience for sure. And that's another podcast for another time. But, you know, as as social media can do, I started to become familiar with Aaron and his work. And it really, really is quite amazing what's going on and not just in Aaron's life, but in his profession, but also the stadium experience overall. And here at Experience by Design, we like to look at the range of experience design that takes place across a variety of industries. So, Aaron, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and where you work? Sure. But before I do that, I'd just like to say I. Uh, you know, I think it all started back in college with you, Gary, and you don't always remember what people say, but you remember how they make you feel. And I, I definitely remember having some good times at Central Michigan with you. So uh, thank you for that. And thank you for helping with a great foundation at the beginning and getting everything rolling to where it is today. And currently I am the vice president of arena operations for the Sacramento Kings. Uh, I helped to run the Golden One Center, which is the first lead platinum arena in the world. Uh, it's 100% solar powered. 90% uh, of our food is sourced within 150 miles. And we have tried to reinvent the guest experience here to make it easier, to make it seamless for people to attend concerts, to make it easier for them to buy tickets, uh, easier for them to get information about events that are coming. And to make them feel welcome when they're here, and can't wait to tell you more about that. Okay, and, so and, you know, going yeah. back, go ahead, Adam. No, I was going to say. So I didn't actually know this is 100% solar powered. That's actually I'm blown away. That's amazing. Um, and so, just in, like, for me, just the initial idea of what this experience can bring um, at an arena, both having locally sourced food and solar powered, is like that's not you don't usually put those pieces together. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm looking at here in Boston at TD Garden Bank. I don't think they're remotely <laughs> solar powered um, or locally sourced food. So that's a really interesting uh, kind of lead in of, of how people like may even approach uh, this arena experience. So go, go ahead, Gary. Sorry. Yeah. So let's talk. We can talk about the food for one quick second because we are sourcing 90 percent of our food within 150 miles. The food is not coming boxed and frozen. It's coming mm. in fresh from farmers. And so it requires a great deal of care to prepare it. 
And what we have found is because we are in a uh, emerging culinary focal point of the world, that a lot of the chefs that are working at high-end restaurants and Michelin-rated restaurants are looking to us to actually come and work here to be a, a chef. And you'll see culinary staff members walking through the arena with a bag of chef knives. And it's mm. kind of impressive to see these guys work uh, to to break down like whole animals and present some world-class culinary treats. You know, one of the things that, you know, when you think about stadium experiences growing up, or at least when I do, you know, and I, you know, being 49 years old, that's a little bit of a range. I think about the thing that stands out to me, the experience that stands out to me is going to the bathroom and having the troughs in the men's bathroom. Right. And I think all of us of a certain age remember that in the bathrooms of stadiums, you would go in there and there weren't individual urinals. There was just a trough that <laughs> men would line up to use. And it's, it's a little bit horrifying to think about it today. But back then, of course, that was the expectation. That was the experience. You didn't go to a, a sporting event for anything grander than the the sport itself and so if you think about the old olympia stadium or something like that in detroit how primitive it felt so aaron in your professional you know scope how do we get from troughs to today in terms of stadium experience what's that arc look like well you know so i don't know that it started in stadiums or arenas and i think the best ideas are often the ideas that are stolen so you look at other industries you look at other things that are going on and you say what's working and you get an idea here or you get an idea there. And when you kind of pull those ideas together, that's what sort of makes your project new and unique is how you were able to pull those all together. Uh, some of the things we've done dramatically different, uh, urinals, as you were describing, first of all, they're all automated today. So it's kind of a unique individualized experience. We have a cup holder on top of every single one, so you have a place to set your beverage down while you do your business. Uh, we pipe in sound so that you're always hearing what is going on in the game uh, when you're inside the actual restrooms. And as soon as you get outside of the restrooms, we have TVs everywhere so you're always a part of the game. So you're never missing what's going on. And it's about getting speed and, and uh, efficiency through it. We've partnered with a company uh, to install lights in our uh, women's restrooms. So you can tell if a stall is occupied or unoccupied. And we actually monitor the usage in our mission control. So when hmm. somebody comes in, what we were seeing happen is uh, ladies were bending down to look underneath the stall door to see if somebody was in there. And that's embarrassing when somebody is. And so we installed these lights over the women's restroom doors to show red means it's occupied and green means you can go. Literally. That's fascinating. And so, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, Adam and I are both ethnographers. We do field research. How was this discovered, right? So I'm not imagining that you were people hanging out in women's bathrooms with notebooks or video cameras recording what goes on. I mean, where, how did the vision of like just that small detail come into being? 
So that detail in particular, it has its origins in parking garage uh, design to where the higher end parking garages in your bigger cities will actually have a red or green light above it. And as soon as a car drives onto the pad, it will change it from green to red. And so that will send a signal back to the main office, letting them know how many spaces are available on each level and where to direct people uh, to maximize the efficiency of their parking garage. Well, the founder of Tush Lights, as it's called, uh, was waiting in line at an airport to use the restroom. And lo and behold, while there was 30 people waiting in line, three or four of the stalls were actually empty. So he was Mm -hmm. kind of frustrated, like, okay, why were we all sitting here waiting if half of the stalls weren't even being used? And so this was how he bridged the gap between those two ideas to maximize the efficiency of the restrooms. Well, that's just genius. That, that's, a, that's a great idea. Um, I think what's interesting, too, about this, so it sounds like, you know, we're, you know obviously we're thinking about the, the question of experience design here. And that's, it's so interesting to think that, you know, we're, we're in the level of detail of a, of a stall lighting up. Uh, I, I love that. that. That's such a, that's a, such a compelling, smart idea, right? It's like one of those, like, duh, why don't we think about that before? Um, even to the, the the notion you mentioned that there's TVs everywhere, so that um, you know uh, you know game goers can then look and kind of see at any point what's happening in the in the arena itself. Um, so how do you think about that too? Like, is this one that you know kind of somebody go through the hallways you might think about and make sure there's TVs at every you know 10, 15, 30 feet? You know that way you can see there's always a line of sight. Like, how did you sort of set up that that space? So I don't think it started like that. I think it started with a vision from our owner Mm. who kind of gave us some guiding principles. And everybody had the same guiding principles. And the guiding principles were all about making it seamless, making it frictionless, and making this super compelling uh, guest experience for people. And we really tried to focus on being the most sustainable venue in the world, having the best food in any venue in the world, being the most connected venue in the world, and then making it uniquely Sacramento to reflect our local area and to help tell the story and history of Sacramento and to, to make sure this is a big part of its future. That's, it makes me think, too, because there's this question of, of attention, right? You know, we, we kind of live in an attention deficit society right now. And so an arena is a really compelling place because it is, it's a live sports venue. It's a live, you know, concert venue It's the different events can happen there. But like, what, what does the work do? Like, I love this idea about the guiding principles that like, how do you get butts out of couches, you know, at their homes and away from their HDTVs and like, how do you pull them into the arena? So what we do is we offer things that they can't get at home. And so a lot of things that we do is we have our own in-house television production studio to where on our center hung scoreboard, we have an ultra HD, ultra 4K HD, ultra HD uh, scoreboard that goes from rim to rim. So it's projecting a, a show that you can't see anywhere else. Mm. And it's projecting content that you can't see anywhere else. And as an example, uh, when our team wins, uh, the star player of the game goes and sits on the scorer's table with the announcer. And the announcer of the game does an impromptu interview to allow the top player of the game an opportunity to address the crowd and thank them for coming and, and get everyone excited. And everyone stays a few more minutes to hear that. Cool. 
That's pretty wild. And it, I also go ahead. Aaron. I also think the food makes a big deal. Mm, yeah. I mean, and that's always been like a big pain point, right? And I was looking through. It's interesting because I was looking through the Google reviews of of the center, and part of experience design or customer experience is is not just delivering a certain experience, but it's trying to hit certain expectations, right? So there's two parts to this equation. And people were saying, even though the food's expensive, that's to be expected because it's a stadium. And so that that wasn't really a pain point for folks because it's part of the deal of going to a game. You expect to pay stadium prices no matter where you are. So not worrying about that per se, and then trying to elevate the experience in terms of varieties and offerings and freshness and uniqueness and those kinds of things. Yeah. So one thing, here's a couple of things we did that's completely unique for our venue. Uh, Most stadiums and arenas take like a base menu and then they try to duplicate it throughout the whole venue. And they may have one or two specialty spaces. Uh, We didn't do that we created what we call local eats. So we don't have a concession stand. We have what we call a restaurant, an express restaurant. And every stand is unique and every stand focuses on one element and it's focused on that one element and then doing that one element better than any other place. And so some stands may be focused just on pizza. Some may be on tacos. Some may be on uh, gyros or uh, Thai food. Uh, we have a great lamb curry. Uh, we have great burgers. We have great chicken tenders. We have a chicken and donut sandwich that is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> wow. And we have barbecue. Every stand is different. Every stand is unique. And it gives everybody the opportunity to kind of get out and go around. And some stats on like our business is most of the business we do is beverages. So the beverage variety follows that old model to where, you know, you can get almost any beverage you want at any stand. And that's really what we're driving. So when it comes to the uniqueness of the food product, that's the thing that people remember, but that's not necessarily the driver of all of our sales. Mm. And it does make a huge difference. That is fascinating. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, we talked about customer experience a lot here, but one of the things I talk with my students about quite a bit is the experience ecosystem. And it's not just about customers. In your world, you have professionals who come to make use of the facility, whether they be the Sacramento Kings or you know where I live, the Boston Celtics. So you have meeting their expectations, but you also have employee experience. And so I might, you know, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you gather information from all of these different sources to try to create an experience that's meaningful, whether they're customers, employees, or people working there as professionals? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, We do a lot of surveying. We do surveying on a routine and frequent basis to get feedback. Uh, We also set up, uh, I would say at least annually, but on a lot of times we try to do it biannually, where we sit down with a certain group just to kind of do a check-in to see how they're doing and to get feedback about the overall experience. Hmm. And a lot of times what we found is that people don't, they don't always know what they want, but they know what they like when they see it and they know what they like when it is. Uh, So a lot of times you get, you get complaints uh, about things that people don't like 
uh, and you don't hear a lot about the things that they do like, or you don't always hear as much. And some of the things that we found was just trying to be a step ahead before you get a complaint, trying to understand, you know, what is the best practice and how do you make sure you're at least at least trying to look into it or, or to do the best you can. Uh, one of the most amazing things that happened here was we were at the old arena before we moved downtown. Uh, we brought in some trainers from Disney and we had them train all of our frontline staff. And we did some intensive training over a couple of days and we implemented some new standards as a part of it. And when we moved from the old arena into the new arena, the, probably the most impactful compliment I received was somebody coming up to me saying, I can't believe you guys have a brand new arena and you got a brand new staff. It's like, where did you get all of these people and how are they already all trained? And the answer was, this is the same staff we had at the old building. Uh, sometimes when you uh, give people the tools they need to do their job, they're, they're more than capable of stepping up and bringing it to another level. And you place somebody in a nicer environment and people respond to the nicer environment and, and behave accordingly. We've, we've seen behavior of fans change dramatically coming into a nicer venue compared to the old venue. That that's that's fascinating. So because it's interesting too, because Disney is known, you know, they have their Imagineers, and they also have like yeah, the way they they sort of train their staff is is almost in, on one level kind of like learning to act a certain way, right? Like that this is a kind of a stage, um, not not in the way that it's fake, but just like this is a, this is a place to be a certain kind of way. Um, and that's really interesting to think that there's a mix of that of like moving to a nicer venue itself as well as then um, kind of training them. Do you, can you talk a bit about like what are the do you recall what are the, some of the you know behavioral you know, ideas that people were taught to do from, from Disney staff? Sure. So a lot of the things we talked about was uh, we started with like the most basic elements and it's like we would show pictures of people in uniform correctly. We would show mm. pictures of people in uniforms incorrectly. And then we would have open conversations with everyone in the room about what does the correct uniform what is the message that that transmits to everybody who sees that person? And you get this wide range of appropriate responses and everybody sort of gets it. And as you sort of peel back the layers of the onion, people start to understand the why behind things and everything starts to make more sense. And so you're not asking people to do what you're telling them. You're giving people some tools so that they can better understand why. Hmm. And it probably didn't really open their eyes until you show the bad uniform and they can hear from their coworker like that says that guy doesn't want to be here. Mm. That says uh, they don't care. That says and, and, you know, all of a sudden the message starts to click because they're not hearing it from a boss. They're hearing it from a coworker. And it's it's going through conversations like this on several of the different several of the different key elements uh, on the most basic of elements. Yeah, the, the why thing is such an important question. And it's when I, when I talk to businesses, you know, and going back to the Simon Sinek stuff, start with why, and, you know, this idea of what's, what's the foundational mission of what it is you're doing. So many companies get lost in the product as the what and not the why. So we're not just selling food. We're providing an experience Well, you know, and, and, you might be working here every single day, but that person, this might be their first 
sporting experience. This might be their first game. This might be the most, it might be their birthday. This might be a special occasion. And trying to get people in the service industry to really connect with that. And then in the process, create that relationship with that customer in that moment. That's right. And constantly innovating to change because everything is changing all the time. It it's And it's funny because, Gary, we haven't seen each other in a long time, but I probably never would have connected with you if Facebook didn't exist. Right? And it's or LinkedIn or, you know, whatever the new social media is of the day. But it, everything has changed. And now people are I think they're partially interested in the experience for themselves and they're partially interested in the experience of seeing their friend's reaction to their experience or the the fear of missing out of their friends or the jealousy of a friend saying, how did you, oh, that that's awesome. You were able to do that. And I'm sorry, I wasn't. And, you know, when I look at your website and I was looking at a video on link on Facebook, actually, and I'm fascinated by this. It said, I can book my birthday party at the Golden One Center, right? And that you will accommodate people from 10 people to 17,500 people. So number one, how do I book my birthday party at the Golden One Center? Like what would it run me basically? Because next year is my 50th, so I might want to make it a big experience. And number two, how do you cater and create unique feels for such a broad range of audiences from 10 to 17,000 from birthday parties or corporate events to sporting events and concerts? Uh, it, first and foremost, it's understanding what you're trying to accomplish. How many people are you interested in having at your birthday party? Gary? I don't have many friends, so not maybe ten. It might be ten. That might be. Would you come? I would absolutely. Eleven. Come. I might be able to hit eleven. I don't know. If so, Gary, can, can you tell me a little bit oh, more yeah. about some of your favorite interests? Food and wine. Uh, bourbon, bourbon and beer. So uh, it's funny you say that. So we actually have a partnership with Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Uh, They are based here in Chico, California, 70 miles away from the arena. We have brewed a special beer that you can only buy here in the arena with Sierra Nevada. It is called Proud Ale. So we have this great space. It's up on our bridge level called the Sierra Nevada Draft House. Uh, We can close it down on a dark day so that we can bring you and your guests in to have a beer and bourbon party up there. Uh, We also have a special uh, deal with uh, with a a whiskey. So we'll have to talk about switching from bourbon to whiskey, but uh, we can work on some pretty special bourbon for you, too. Do Do I get the fraternity brother pricing as part of this deal or is that just a standard rate for anybody? Uh, so we <laughs> definitely have a special rate just for, Oh, you. that's, that's good to hear. That's uh, good. And we'll, hear. we'll even podcast. It. It'll be great. You know, there we go. And then uh, because we're podcasting, I can write it off as a business expense and I can save, I can save a little <laughs> bit of money at the same, at the same time. You know, what, what role does, does the center play in the life of Sacramento today? Since you've moved downtown, uh, it's not been open terribly long. And so how does it factor into the, not just events that take place there, but into the broader, Uh, landscape of the community? Great question. And really, this was like, uh, from the city leaders, this was all part of their vision. Uh, Seven to 10 years ago, the Sacramento Kings were on the verge of moving out of town. And there was a big push for people 
outside of Sacramento to get this team out of here. And the local civic leader said, this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen on my watch. They went out and they recruited our owner, Vivek Ranadive, uh, to come and take over this team. And when he did, he brought a lot of the core philosophies that have made him successful in, in the tech world. And he implemented those as we started to move forward. And part of that was making sure that this building was the most sustainable, was the most was the best food in the world, was the most technologically advanced and, and uniquely Sacramento. And when all of those elements came together, his vision is that this would be a communal fireplace where everybody comes together on, on a frequent basis because the arena is only part of our project. We also have a 250-room hotel. We have our offices. We have office buildings. We have close to a million square feet of retail space all the way around the building. So there's activity that takes place here every single day of the week, almost 24 hours a day, uh, just People coming down, feeling safe, getting amazing food, and having great experiences. So that's that is interesting because then it's not that different in concept from what the crafts have done with Gillette Stadium in terms of having the retail space available and other kinds of amenities surrounding it. The big difference would be Foxborough is not downtown; it's way outside of downtown. But it's the same kind of idea that it's more of a 365 day a year opportunity to engage with folks across a broad range of experience channels along with um, really trying to make it a focal point of the community. Absolutely. And every every shop that comes in here, we try to make sure it's new or unique or, or fun or different in some way. Uh, there's a punch bowl social, which is like an arcade for adults. Uh, there's mm. bowling alleys in there. There's arcade games, virtual reality, a uh, whole bunch of different fun things. We're one of the few places that have a Starbucks reserve, which is kind of new and unique and fun. There's a rare tea uh, location on site. Uh, start going through the list. And there's just a bunch of these little amazing touches that can get you to get off your sofa and come down here. And, you know, it's not always one. Sometimes it has to be two or three things together to kind of get you motivated to get here. And in terms of, you know, a lot of places have, a lot of communities have pushed back against new stadiums. You know, in, in the process of trying to build up the Golden One Center and the, the, the key stakeholders in Sacramento saying, no, we want to keep it here. What has the reaction of the community been both before when it was being proposed and developed and then after, after now that it's been established and open? So there was people for and against the arena coming downtown. I would say 80 to 90 percent of the community was for it. Uh, there was a vocal minority who was against it. Uh, and I think most most everyone, every concern they had was alleviated when it opened and they saw the actual response to it and how their friends and neighbors talked about it, I think changed their minds. Gotcha. Hmm. That, that That's awesome to think with. Um, I think maybe like one question I'm, I'm curious about too, because you mentioned before um, 
the notion that this is kind of an always connected stadium space also. And so that, that kind of got me thinking a little bit about like, what is in, in your thoughts, what is the future? You know, what's, what's, you know, I don't know, the next five, 10 years, what do you think is coming around in the you know, experience, the arena experience um, for you guys? Well, that's the exciting part right now. Or is it a and we're the most connected <laughs> arena. We're the most connected arena in the world. We have 1100 uh, Wi-Fi access points. Uh, We have a state-of-the-art DAS system, a distributed antenna system to connect everyone to their own cell phone uh, user uh, Mm -hmm. provider. And through our Wi-Fi system, we have, uh, we're one of the first venues in the world to use multi-mode fiber to connect everything as fast as possible. We have a Mm -hmm. tier four data center on site, which connects out to the internet on 200 uh, gigabytes symmetrical, both up and down. So we're designed to have 18,500 simultaneous users, all streaming live video or all uploading pictures all at the same time. And I think that's like where it is today. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people need to kind of catch up with that. And where I think it's going is I think you're going to see a lot of a lot more of augmented reality to where somebody can see in real time, looking at a game, putting your phone up like you're going to take a picture, uh, but then having different elements pop up in the game, whether it be the stats or opportunities to do predictive gaming, to where you are now interfacing and interacting with the actual sporting event, uh, predicting like what's going to happen in the next play or the next series or what will the score be at the, you know, go to more of the old school uh, thought on that. Like what will the score be at halftime? Mm. What will it be at the quarter? Um, Will he shoot a three pointer? Will he pass it? What will he do? That's awesome. And I really see it going in that direction. I see it becoming more individualized and becoming more like a, more like a four star uh, hotel in the amenities and so much of everything is now done via the internet and via uh, a web a webcast pod <laughs> podcast <laughs> uh, the whole concept of meeting with people who are just like you face to face becomes more special and when it becomes special you you go bigger you make it bigger like uh, my friend Gary's interested in celebrating his 50th birthday here at the arena. We're going to make sure that's a special night. Sweet. It's, it is so fascinating just because, especially being here in Boston, right? We got this, this thing called Fenway Park. And not being from here, I don't necessarily have any emotional attachment to it. However, when I've been there a few times, and in terms of a fan experience, it's not awesome. And we'll probably get emails um, about that. Yeah, sorry, but, Fenway, but it's true. I mean, it's like, you know, oh, the green monster, that's where Teddy ball game hit the ball over the yard. And, you know, it's like, okay, I got it, but I can't sit comfortably and there's a pole in front of me. So there's this idea of the tradition, right? The kind of keeping the puck, you know, unique in the way it's always been. And this kind of chucking everything out the window and reimagining it. And so in, in sports, because tradition is such a big part of sports, it's interesting to see this tension between the traditional, um, you know, generational experience and the new experience that you're describing there today, which really is called, will, will call for people to rethink what being a sporting event is like. 
Yeah, and I I will say I do think we live in an open market economy. If people continue to buy tickets to every single thing they put at Fenway Park, they're never going to change. There's no need to change. Why would you, if you sell out every time, to me, the whole secret is based on ticket sales. And everything in my world revolves around ticket sales because that is my measure. That's how I know if people appreciate what we do. And I really feel like you have to break it down into a formula because people care about the content of what we have. They have to make sure they know about it and like there's this awareness of it. And it, the third part, the third leg of that is the experience. If, if they appreciate coming here and they're on the fence about an event and they like it here, they're gonna be. They're not gonna be on the fence. They're gonna. They're gonna use it as an excuse to come. If they don't, if they don't like the experience, they're gonna use it as an excuse not to come. It's. It sounds like your job requires you to know about everything that there is to know about. Because we've we've gone from donuts and chicken sandwiches, and we've gone to you know buying tickets online. We've gone to um, fiber optic cable and and internet connections, and we've gone to scoreboards that go from rim to rim, right? And and it's really in your job. Is it about you know managing all of it and and trying to figure out what next is to come? It's always trying to be one step ahead, and it's making sure the team feels empowered. And they have the tools they need to get their job done. And so just as we're, as we're closing out here, what part of that experience, and it could be from, you know, the journey could be from buying the tickets to leaving the event afterwards, which part of that journey for the customer, for the fan, do you, you know, makes you stay up at night that you're like, nah, we don't quite have that yet. We really got to do better at it. What, what, what are the one or two things that you really would like to see you, your folks do a better job at? So I really don't think of it that way. And there's nothing that keeps me up at night. Uh, I would say almost like the reverse. Uh, I There's moments that really inspire me. And that moment that to me is like the quintessential moment to, to know is when we have a concert in the building and we have got everybody into the building and into their seats ahead of schedule before the artist goes on stage, there's this moment in time right when the lights all go dark and everybody who was talking to their friends, there's this roar of the crowd. It all goes quiet for a second or a split second. And right in that split second, you have this calmness that hits the entire building because all the moment of anticipation and suspense is now over and they're ready for the fireworks, the kaboom, the light show, the artist, Everything then happens all in that split second. And there's a split second right there where the universe is in sync and everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. That, that, I think that inspires me. It gives me an adrenaline rush. Uh, I think it inspires a lot of the people that are passionate about working here. And I think it inspires our fans to come back. And everybody at the end of the night says the artist over-delivered. And then afterwards, they can go to the Golden One Center Spotify playlist and find the playlist of the artists that they just saw. 
That's right. <laughs> Which is just Man, amazing. That, it me. follows them home. This is great. <laughs> it, it follows them home, and you can relive that moment over. You know, it's, it's all the touch points, right? It's like from when you buy the tickets to when you're remembering the experience, right? We we provide it end to end. I think it's a great place. I think it's a great place to stop. Uh, Adam, you got anything else? Yeah. I think, I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think I really appreciate the point you also said about like just finding those moments of inspiration, you know, that's like a stadium is a place, you know, it's a place of performance, um, on all levels, you know, I mean, I, and again, one, one of the things I want to hit on too, is I, I love the idea that you have these bathroom stalls that like, you know, if someone's in it like that to me is the detail that's like, bam, you guys got it. That's, that's really fascinating, you know? And so it's like from that all the way to this, I love this idea of the, the calm when the lights go down. Um, that really kind of hits that moment for me. I, I totally know what you're talking about. And like, that is, you're like, yep, this is, this is, this is how it should be. That's right on. Well, th- you know, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time uh, out of your busy day out there, uh, re reinventing and reimagining what uh, uh, an event experience is like. It's, it sounds busy, um, especially, you know, um, given all that you're juggling. So we really appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything else you'd, you'd like to say before we, uh, we let you go? Uh, we're also the most followed, uh, venue in the world on Facebook. So I encourage everybody to go onto Facebook, check out our Facebook feed and like our page. And uh, Twitter as well and uh, Instagram, all, all the all the normal channels. And you're probably even on channels that haven't been invented yet. You're so forward thinking. <laughs> no question. If you follow TikTok, check us there out. There you go. Well, Adam, you want to take us out? Yeah, this sounds great. Uh, Aaron Rush, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to talk with you. Um, and, and yeah, this has been awesome. Um, as always, I'm Adam Gamwell. I'm Gary David. Cool. Thanks for joining us on Experience by Design. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. Mm-hmm.